Welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club. I am your host, Joe, and with me always is the Real Wolf Record Club panel. We have got a great show for you today as we are discussing the influential 1967 album I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You by the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. Uh, Aretha Franklin! Are you guys are you guys hearing this? Are you thinking about Aretha Franklin? The Aretha Franklin who did Respect. She took it from Otis Redding and she made it one of the most iconic songs of our time. The the Aretha Franklin who upon her death was described by Barack and Michelle Obama as having helped define America. Aretha Franklin, her father, was a, a contemporary and friend of Martin Luther King Jr. who recorded her first album at 14 and her last in 2014. Who sang about love and heartbreak and pain and triumph and... I actually have to say I have a personal heartbreak uh, done by Miss Aretha Franklin when she canceled her performance at Jazz Fest in New Orleans in 2010, a show that I happened to be attending with my then new fiance. That Aretha Franklin! We are talking about her today and her classic album, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. This is the album that opens with respect. I mean, that's the opener. I mean, what what else do you say about an album that has the the boldness to open with that song? Something that's that's so hardwired into our collective musical psyche. And and for that reason, and many others, this album was, was so influential. Not just to millions of fans around the world, but to our special guest today. A force of nature in, in, in her own right. It, it seems a little bit like, I don't know how you guys feel, but every time I look her up, there's something new she's doing. Uh, she's She's been listed as a singer. She is a singer. Uh, musician. Composer, activist, voice instructor, symphonist, voice actor, among many, many others. She's an Emmy Award winner and recently released her new studio album, Sovereign, in 2021. We are, of course, talking to the wonderful, the talented, the inspiring Paviel French. And we're going to talk with Paviel today about her music, her life, the very many exciting things she's got uh, on the horizon, and of course, what this Aretha Franklin album means to her. Later on in the show, we're going to make some bold claims about this album. We're going to hear from Hannah, our resident word nerd, and of course, stop in with Ben for some Put It On A Playlist, which I should remind you, if, if you are not, if you're out listening in, do they do this on radio yet? Or is this just a podcast? I think it's just a podcast. If you're out in podcast land and you're listening and you're like, what is put it on a playlist and how do I dig into that? You should follow us at Instagram, Real Wolf Record Club, or on Twitter, Real Wolf RC, or at our website, realwolfrecordclub.com. Not only can you find information about uh, the show, about our guests, links to our guests, buy merchandise, but you can also, you can also find ways to, and I'm going to butcher this, Ben, you're going to have to help me. Uh, download the apps. Is that right? No. <laughs> so, with that, I always turn to the panel. How's everybody feeling about this album, the uh, the Aretha Franklin album? Joe, I'll, I'll jump in here. I, di- I didn't have a lot of uh, experience with this album, actually. And uh, I'd never listened to the full album through. Uh, obviously, I've heard Respect. You would have had to have lived in a cave for the last 50 to 60 years to have not heard that song. Um, all, all I, all I can say is I came into this with Aretha Franklin in my mind being the gold standard in soul music and the, the powerhouse voice that, that we've all heard from songs like Respect. I was thinking that might be a little bit overpowering for me as far as digging into this album. I thought maybe I'd think this is just a lot to take in so much, you know, voice coming at you that it would maybe be tiring. 
we'll see if that held true. Ryan, what what your experience with this album? You know, I'm I'm similar to Ben. I've no real experience with this this album or really any of Aretha's, um, which is surprising. I, I like soul music and like to think that I've listened to a lot of Aretha's material before, um, but it, I realized it was only her hits that like even the most casual fans had really heard. Um, you know, I was excited though, because I don't know if anyone had seen her perform um, at the Kennedy Center. Honors. No, I was supposed to, remember? <laughs> I didn't get that chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, she performed at the Kennedy Center Honors in 2015. President Obama was there. Uh, it was, I don't know. It, just an experience having seen her perform there it's on youtube if you want to find it just a really moving performance um so so kind of going into this listening i was having that in the back of my mind you know expecting this to be a very powerful and and moving experience and just knowing that she was had such a everlasting impression on music and how she was an inspiration to so many i almost kind of felt like there was a a lot at stake here in, in terms of listening to this and making sure i thought about it and took it in the right way uh, it's you know the thing about icons is you, you truly in a, a very a tangible sense but a metaphorical sense you don't know how to handle them sometimes i don't you don't know what exactly to expect i i knew a little bit of you know a little bit i knew i knew who she was and her significance and plenty of songs but i too i don't know that i had dug into this album beyond um some of the songs that she covered and then obviously um, the main hit. Um, Hannah, was, was that your experience or did you have any other experience with this album? Pretty much the same. I mean, who doesn't know who Aretha Franklin is? I mean, it's like a household name, right? Um, I, I knew her hits. I'm partial to Chain of Fools myself. And I was excited to listen to it and see uh, what, I, what uh, I was going to find exploring this album. Mm. And, and, and with that, I mean, I think we're going to dig into, I, I we all have basic basic experience with this album but uh i want to turn to our guest today our very special guest paviel french and talk to her about this but first i want to talk to paviel about her paviel french welcome to the real wolf record club thank you i'm so glad to be here with y'all wow awesome. i mean i kind of feel like it's 2022 uh we're talking to one another through computers about vinyl records that are over 50 years old uh i feel like i'm glad to be anywhere <laughs> it's kind of, kind of yeah. par for the course yeah <laughs> but, exactly. but truly uh with that background i mean how are you doing i know you've been very very busy in the last year yeah very busy still <laughs> um yeah it, everything's been uh just kind of blossoming and um snowballing in a really really positive and good way mm -hmm. um i've been commissioned to do some projects and last year i was able to do a small little tour you know mm. with my uh piece i wrote for my mother a requiem for zula and i was able to go to miami and san francisco um and do some residencies and play the you know play their concerts and mm. um really move into this uh classical world that i've been only dabbling in since 2017 so i'm like i'm like exploring and meeting great new people and networking and having all these new adventures and got to play minnesota orchestra like, oh yeah and that's wild. that's yeah you i mean you hit you hit it i mean that's kind of the feel if you're following you know fans of you are following they're seeing 
you're not just releasing albums you're not just performing symphonies uh, you're not just composing you're doing a lot of different things um you mentioned the holiday show you just finished that with the minnesota orchestra tell me about that uh so we did a, a show uh that kevin Kling and i uh were able to collaborate uh and um work with peter rothstein and minnesota orchestra and we had a fabulous cast um of, of folks that came and played with us and it was just it was just a wonderful show that we got to write about our childhoods and you know the holiday time and what those things mean to us and how we hold on to the gifts that we were given from our lineage and you know sharing our own origin story since you know we thought about Christmas being an origin story in that way we kind of wanted to have a different touch on the holidays and talk about all kinds of stuff in our stories even about grief and stuff like that which was really awesome because people came and talked to me afterwards and you know said really beautiful things like um they've never seen grief be talked about at a holiday show and they felt really acknowledged um in the things that they're going through and the people that they're missing and you know because we're in a pandemic and all these things are happening um they just really it was a breath of fresh air for a lot of people that came to see the show um of, of happiness, light, joy, and truth. It's like, oh my gosh, I put it forth and it just, all this stuff came true. And it was being able to acknowledge that, go back yeah. through my life and really think about how I got here as a child performer. And, um, mm. you know, going through all that, cause I talked about my stories, you know, singing with John Denver when I was a kid and all that kind of stuff. You know, my first gig at the Orpheum at 10, you mm. know, singing with my Angelou, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, and I don't want to grasp at obvious, or maybe not obvious, but um, stereotypical contrast. But I mean, Kevin Kling, uh, Minnesota storyteller, I think um, at one point Minneapolis described him as the, what was it, Minnesota's story laureate or something like that. And he, he's obviously from NPR's All Things Considered. And, um, but what was, what was surprising about that? You know, you've got you a, a, a as we said, com composer, uh, classically trained singer performing your whole life. And then you got Kevin Kling, white guy from the suburbs of Minneapolis. Um, what was surprising about that? Uh, the interest, the most interesting thing for me was that Kevin knew the same people, um, very closely, um, and came up acting and, and building his chops and all that stuff with the very same people that mentored me as a child. Mm. Um, you know, because I grew up at Penumbra Theater um, and a lot of those actors there, those company members, you know, in the 70s, the theater scene was very cohesive and there was a lot going on um, between, you know, Lou Bellamy's Theater Penumbra and Jack Ruler and all these other theater folks that were like really getting together and making some real high art and building together and being able to have grown up in that tradition and in that aesthetic coming in to that in the early 90s um, and being with those people and seeing what they built but at a later date, but he was there with them, you know, at that time. It just made me feel an immediate connection mm -hmm. to him because I was like, you cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know you know my people and my people yeah. know you and you cool, so let's do this, you know? And it just made me feel like, yeah, the more that we, um, we would have these Zoom meetings together 
and just talk and talk and talk and talk. Like we we wrote some stuff down, but we just talked mm. and um, found out so much about each other's moms and how we both feel the same way about our mothers. Mm. Um, there was a lot of similarities in our childhoods and both of our mo- mothers had went back to school when we were teenagers mm. um, and just were very uh, instrumental in showing us the way through their example. And mm. both of our parents, or all four of our parents were like that. Um, and so we built upon that about, you know, and, and built through my familial relationships with my siblings and his with his, you know, and we just kind of built upon that and made this story yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, and it was kind of, it wasn't scary, but you know, it's like when you make new art, you wonder what it's going to do and how it's going to be. But we just kept feeling like this was right. We had a fabulous cast of folks that came and uh, played with us. And it was T. Michael Rambo, Thomasina Petrus, Robert Ferdahl, and Christina Baldwin. Um, Sarah Hicks was our conductor and Peter Rothstein helped us. Um, he was the writer that helped us put it all together mm-hmm. and you know form everything around that and sit and talk with us and stuff like that so it was super intense um but at the same time i had a complete team mm-hmm. uh working with me on this and so i felt very secure um in 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 the piece and i felt very secure in the work because i could just do what my work was sure and i think like the the coolest thing i overall was that they hired me to do all of my disciplines and all of my art with, mm-hmm. with the exception of dance and choreography. Sure. Um, you know, I did a little dancing, but I, you know, I'm, I got to build back into this. We've been off stage for two years. I, I got to get back into my, <laughs> <laughs> get, get my stamina back together, my stage sure. stamina. I was like, look, let me sing and just tell stories. All right. mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, they, they uh, um, hired me to be a writer and a singer and an actor and a storyteller and be able to bring all of my disciplines together, which is really where I'm trying to go with my art. So I was just really excited and happy about that. And, you know, they um, really were down for working with me um, on my terms and the things that I asked for. Um, And I really, really appreciate that because they are trying to change um, and make changes appropriately. Um, going forward uh, regarding Black artists and artists of color. Um, And I was very happy to have had a good experience working with them and to open, help open up more doors for my fellow artists um, to come in there and do the same things like what I did. Yeah. Well, you also, I mean, in this performance, you got to debut new music. You debuted the song, The Gift. Um, I, I have to... I have to dumb it down a little bit here and ask because I am a bit of an amateur songwriter myself mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> everyone's face is, uh, uh, Pavio, you're being so sweet about this. Everyone's face is like, okay, guy, where are you going with this? Um, I uh, have written songs about the neighbor's dogs. I have written all kinds of songs. Um, like literally how does a song get written i'm walking around humming a song about my neighbor's dog and how cute he is and everyone loves him that's not how a song gets written how do you how would you like to sing that for us joe 
<laughs> Ooh, um, you know that's gonna be for i the, would the... love to hear it remind me how that <laughs> is goes it about again? my dog it you know it works it can for apply me. to your dog right it okay. can apply to just about any dogs it um, can that, apply to any dogs that will be one of the lost episodes uh uncut edition you can hear that but but truly i mean i think for for those of us who love music uh, we've got a great album to consider we've got somebody who's released a great album and i just i've always been fascinated about is it as simple as you hear a melody or a lyric or how, what is the process of writing a song? Uh, sometimes it comes to you like that. And sometimes it's painstakingly brutal. Um, mm. It just <laughs> to get it out. Like sometimes I've heard melodies in my head for, you know, six months before I could articulate what the words are. Mm. Um, but in specific for joy, joyful echoes for the gift. Um, when they asked me to do it, we had a meeting um, with all the folks at the table um, from the production team and Kevin. And from that experience alone, I was just geeked when I got off mm. the line and I wrote a song. Wow. And it was just like that. Like I just immediately, I got on the machine and like started it with like these jingle bells. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of went from there, created the track and then sat down and listened to it for a couple of days and then wrote it. But I knew what I wanted to say, and it was so crazy because it turned out to be like really the theme of the story, which is why it was the ending song and sure. it's all that because it was really about the gifts. But it was this I was just inspired by it. Like something was just like here's the song. And I, I what I, I I think I like both versions of what you've described, which is the kind of eureka moment of inspiration, and also the workman like work person like sitting down to. I'm going to hammer this thing out and figure it out and rearrange it and work on it because both just, it, it shows me how much talent I don't have when I think about singing my dog, you know, song about my neighbor's dog. Uh, it just, it, it shows you a glimpse inside to the artist's brain, which is, yeah, it's both. It's inspiration also yeah. with work. Absolutely. Cause like with this commission I just did, I finished the commission on Sunday and that was like, it's 61 minutes, 28 pages of script. And this, this like commission at, you're referring the, to now was for, was it the Schubert or the Jerome Schubert. Grant? Schubert, yes, yeah, for the gotcha. Schubert Club. I would just a little bit here and there, write And just keep adding to the garage band. I'd go in there. I'm going to do 32 bars today. I'm mm. going to do 16 bars today. Okay, I'm going to finish this whole song. And I did it all the way up to the wire. But everything I said, I knew I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, sometimes it's just like that where it just writes itself. And I'm in the zone. You know. the, Schubert, the Schubert Club, I mean, it's, it's what, a hundred and some years old organization that basically does exactly what you're describing, commissions people. What What is the end product with that? Is there a performance? Is there a, yes. where, where does yes. that, tell us about that. Um, I get the headline, the Fitzgerald Theater on May 22nd, 2020. Mm. And this will be my second, this will be my first show by myself. Because the first time I got to headline it along with Gianthi, Kyle, and Sarah White, um, maybe five six years ago um and that was my first time being able to like really do it so like I was like they were they were asking where I want to be and I was like Sister, I have mm. good memories there I opened up for Preservation Hall Jazz Band and you could see there was like smoke in the air there's somebody took a picture <laughs> and there was smoke in the air but there was no smoke machine yeah. you know and nobody was smoking but it was just on fire like yeah. the spirit like it's the way that it looked I'll never forget it it's the it's the energy in there mm. and so that's where we're going to be and I um, am going, I'm just, I'm really excited to be able to bring the Twin Cities to the stage like that and, and just really represent it with some folks that 
I have mad respect for mm-hmm. and have played with and alongside for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you, you mentioned performing. I mean, how when did you first start performing? Um, I started performing when I was five. Um, and my mom got me into choral work, uh, you know, because I had a really big personality. I was really precocious and extremely smart. Um, I was reading that too, you know, so like I was on people's nerves, okay? <laughs> channel it. Questions. We need to channel this. <laughs> I got shows for people, you know, coming downstairs trying to party. <laughs> and, you know, my mom threw parties and stuff like that. My dad, you know, her and my her cousin and my dad, they used to call themselves the party boys. And, you know, they would have like, you know, rent parties or, you know, hood parties and stuff like that, the red lights and all the cool kind of things where I got to grow up and like really see the black aesthetic um, in a really beautiful poetic way, almost um, Mm -hmm. like my memories of that. Um, And so that was my life. It was like, yeah, my mom and dad love music. This is always around me. Um, My mom was very adamant um, with me and my brother exploring our creative sides and exploring ourselves. Um, because that was not necessarily her childhood and she wanted to give us things that she didn't receive. And, you know, she was a cycle breaker. She was a very different kind of person. She was very unique and very, uh, thoughtful in her raising of us. And so she poured into us whatever she could and, you know, whatever she couldn't, she would grab other people to do so. So my brother, um, got connected with, number theater i think in the late 80s 89 90 when he was at central he was in the touring theater and started working you know with mary mcclinton jan mandel jay uh james austin williams like you know t michael rambo all the all the great Mm -hmm. folks and so he was already doing that and he was a drummer and so he was very musical with me because i spent a lot of time with him we're 11 years apart so you know he was like my brother dad you know like that kind of way where he was with me he was you know older um, in that way where he's a teenager, I'm like five years old and he's like 16. So he, he was, he was very open with working with me, even though I annoyed everybody, you know, like <laughs> I'm a little sister, get out of here. Yeah. But he was very adamant, like my mom also in me exploring my voice and they knew I loved music right off. There's albums of me in the out, al- you know, in my mom's albums, like a little me just mm-hmm. over by the albums. There's pictures of that. Every, and if you see me in like several pictures, you'll see me by the record player, hovering in the dining room, anywhere where the music box was. Mm. So um, she got me into, my mom got me into choir work, you know, at five, six, seven, I started working with Mary Hafner and she was the musical director at Pilgrim Baptist Church. Mm. So I was able to get some really good work with her and I started professionally performing, like on stage doing show shows. I would say like seven or eight um, because I joined City Songs, which was Robert Robinson's choir, the mm-hmm. the singer Robert Robinson. Gospel singer. And, yes. Yes. And he Powerful. had a he had a choir of his own full of kids mm. and we were bad. Like uh, <laughs> our choir director was P.S.A. Cooper. Um, and, you know, we had choreography. Um, they brought that's how I met um, the dancer um, and choreographer Patricia Brown. Um, because they would bring folks in from the community, um, you know, to work with us and stuff like that. And so I was bit. And I think that was really the thing for me. I think when we did a show with Maya Angelou and I got to sing a solo, it was for Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. Um, It was a show, I want to say it was 1990. 
three or four and it was at St. Mary's Basilica. Wow. And I remember it was sold out. <laughs> and then they, they confirmed it because a coworker of mine was in school at the time and they couldn't get in with her school, with, with her college because it was sold out. And I was like, see, I knew it was sold out, <laughs> you know, but I'm like 10 years old and I'm just yeah. standing up there on this sold out thing, singing this song, you know, and then I get off stage and Maya Angelou walks right past, because they called her right to the stage yeah. and she walks right past us and we go on the other side and I'm like, Maya, and my mom was there and she turned around and she blew me a kiss. Oh. And I was like, this is what I'm doing forever. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. <laughs> And I mean, it, 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 I think those inspirational moments, the things that you attach to that you remember are so, I mean, it, it's just so interesting to think that the same things that, you know, we might gravitate towards with music. It's something as simple as I had a brother who was into music or my mom really stuck with me on music. And it sounds like you've been surrounded by people that have been really, really powerful, I guess, inspirations uh, on your journey and like founding folks, you know, of like yeah. movements and stuff. Like my, we had a cousin who was a founding member of Penumbra Theater and he had like wrote the music for their first play, Black Bart. So, mm -hmm. you know, like that influence was around, like we knew that by seeing Greg that we could do things and it really work, you know, like it's not just a pipe dream, you right. know, you know, because he made it, you know, to all kinds of stuff. I mean, he was on all kinds of shows. He was the first black man on Baywatch, like mm. of all things, um, you know what I mean? But seriously, like he breaking barriers, there. really great career, still <laughs> acting, still doing stuff. He was on Greenleaf uh, yeah. not too long ago and stuff. So like seeing that people, you were adjacent to people that could make it, seeing the number of folks, knowing that we would see like Abdul El Razak on Malcolm X, mm -hmm. you know, on the movie, you right. know, or on Glory. He's on right. Glory. I'm watching this movie and I'm like, I know that guy. <laughs> like seriously I know that guy you know it, it it was always this thing for me like yeah you can do it you can be exactly like these people who have been around you you know what I mean and like my mom knowing she, she just had a knowing that that we had it you know mm -hmm. I, I, I think that she invested so much I mean she did it because she loved us but she invested so much time into making sure um that I was at every rehearsal, you know, like I went to an art school, I went to Mississippi Creative Arts. So we had shows that was a part of our schooling, you know, so I was with the Mississippi Singers. That's how I did that thing up in, at the show at Minnesota Orchestra and told that story about John Denver, because mm -hmm. we got that gig through the singing group that I was with with school. We were a real singing group. We were going to like right. nursing homes and stuff. So it was like, my mom was making sure that I was able to hone my craft you know what I mean? Like I didn't have any issues with getting to anything and she worked her tail off, you know what I mean? But still made sure that I was getting every to every gig and to every rehearsal and, and being able to learn and, you know, scoring scholarships for me, you know, mm -hmm. to go to Walker West so I could get vocal training or so, you know, I could at least get a little bit of piano training. I played sax, you know, she made sure that we were very you know, musical. And she was too. She played the saxophone as well. And, you know, my uncle played with Hayes. He played with Sonny Knight. Mm -hmm. And then I played with Sonny Knight, you know, mm -hmm. like 25, 30 years later and didn't even know the story of Hayes. I knew my uncle played with them. He played mm -hmm. saxophone for them. But just coming back around, stuff like that, like meeting Sonny, 
Yeah. That was just the the craziest thing. He was like, you look so familiar to me. And we get to talking. And I'm like, yeah, my uncle was, you know, Gordon He played in Hayes. And he was like, oh, my God, you're Zula's daughter. <laughs> yes. <There> it <laughs> and it turns out, you know, he's family with my brother, you oh. know. So it's like, it's a, it's a, every time I do stuff, just like the thing I did with Kevin, anytime I meet more people from this community that I've never really met before, I get these chances to work with these folks um outside of my circle per se um it's always full circle and it always comes back to you know we knew the same energies we yeah. were with the same people um you know i always seem to find these people that already knew me before i knew them you know what i mean by yeah. that like <laughs> even though they didn't but they do right mm -hmm. you, know? you know the so same it, people it, yeah. and you're walking into a room already having friends i mean that's that's just history. That's family. You know, that's, that's community. Um, and it's all because of my childhood. It's all because of those performances. It's all because of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't presume to tell you this, but it, from the sounds of it, it also goes back to, you know, the influence of your mother. I mean, it sounds like she was Absolutely. a very, very strong influence. You and I had a conversation and I'm going to ask you the question that I stopped short of asking you in our intro, which is um, we're talking about Aretha Franklin, Aretha Franklin's album. I never loved a man. Um, What's your experience with that album? Uh, that's the album that made me want to sing. <laughs> um, that was it was my mom's favorite album, and it was one of the first albums that I ever learned as a kid, as far as songs to do at talent shows, any of that kind of stuff. So I never loved a man the way that I love you, and do right woman, do right man. Those two were like constant. Oh. regardless of the album or anything that that stuff was just constant <laughs> in my mm -hmm. house in my home you know what I mean my mom those were her songs and she would sing them mm. you know and so anything that mom would do I would do and that's where you know I, I think I just I'm biased because it was her love and so I loved what she loved oh. <laughs> but for me it was it, growing up and understanding this album um and how vulnerable she was and how like what she was going on what was going on in her life at that time when she did this album and her composition you know her composition skills the fact that she sat down at the piano um and her and her sisters you know really worked this album it's a it's a family thing and and there's nothing like family music you know and i speak that from experience because i play with my family you know so um, there is nothing like playing with the type of people that you've grown up with, that you have built your chops around. Um, cause it's just free. You can do whatever. Cause everybody knows you and you know, everybody. And so I think that really made it for me for that album, her, her and her sisters, the background singers. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's there's a, there's a lot to unpack with that album, but I mean, I just remember the image you talking about five-year-old Paviel French flipping through records and I could picture in the background somewhere your mother <laughs> humming along to a oh record being played <laughs> yeah she'd be sitting at the table like writing down lyrics like she would always do that was a habit she would sit down any song that she wanted me to really know that she would sit down and write it out and stop it every four bars and we would talk these words out so that i could understand what was being said and i wasn't just like singing songs <laughs> she was really big into that you know uh. that song free your mind and your ass to follow by funkadelic and stand by sliding the family stone those mm. those were the first 
three. Word is, rumor is, uh, the rumor being from you to me, uh, that there's a video somewhere of you singing, I believe it was Dr. Feelgood, uh, at age... 12. 12. 1996. Wow. At, at a Girl <laughs> Scout talent show that my mom and uh, the co Girl Scout leader, Raquette CSR, they put together this talent show and all of us played. Everybody, Supreme, Shaka Khan, Aretha, Patty, In Vogue. Like, and it's all of us, you know, we're all, you know, elementary school. And they went, my mom was a seamstress. And so her and Raquette went to the, the thrift store and bought all these vintage dresses and then busted the hems out and made them fit to us. Wow. And it was, oh it was just this thing. They just did it. They just did it. <laughs> and put this thing together, had the music on, and I got up there to, uh, it was just, I was singing. I knew I was a reason. <laughs> you couldn't tell me nothing. I think I did. A ne- I never loved the man the way I love you. And I did Dr. Feelgood. Oh. Yeah. Which Dr. Feelgood turned out to be one of my songs that you know when I went I, I was in a group called Edupoetic Entertainment in my teenage years um and it was a great group uh we you know toured and did all kinds of stuff but then when I went solo from it and was kind of like trying to find my way as an adult and you know on my own merit uh Dr. Feelgood was a song that I sang uh, um while I was singing with Billy Holloman and Johnny Hodges and Big John Dickerson down at Dixie's um and it was great I mean, like, it was the thing to see. People came and packed that place to see that. Not just to see me, but just also to see that, to see all of us. But that was a thing. And if I didn't do it, it was a problem, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I had to do that song. (laughs) And I would do the end note. I would be all dramatic and walk around the whole (laughs) bar and sing the (laughs) note good. And I would hold the note all the way around the bar. So everybody can know that it was good. (laughs) Until I got back to the mic stand. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, we would turn the place out. Woo, we turn the place out. <laughs> well, we we speak. You know, speaking of uh, great albums, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about. We talked about your upcoming uh, performance at the Fitzgerald Theater. We've talked about uh, your I show. I have one more too. Ma- you do with, with, with yeah with St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. That's soon. That's in two weeks. Wow. I just wanted to mention that. I just wanted to say that. That's <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, and that's, and we've talked about, you know, it's, it's every time I turn, it seems like there's something new you're doing. You you have yes. a couple of shows coming up, um, the St. Paul Orchestra, uh, Chamber Orchestra in a couple of weeks. Uh, you dropped an album last year, 2021, yes. Sovereign. Yes. Tell us September. about that. So I um, was blessed to receive a Jerome grant um which allows you to be able to do whatever you want to do as far as work or creating or advancing your career or any of that kind of stuff um what is it uh you could do like professional development or anything so I chose to make an album 2020 was a very tumultuous year and um it was just a lot happening I was just really numb and trying to process. And so all of those songs that are on Sovereign was really my way of processing that um, because the songwriting process began late 2020 where I had just, I had gotten like an idea, you know, I was watching uh, the Brianna Taylor, um, it, it was the uh, DA and them telling us that they weren't going to charge her murderers. And I just, all of a sudden felt like writing for the first time that whole year. And I just was on Facebook and watching the protests ensue. 
in real time and watching all the comments and how terrible the comments were. And I was just like, okay, I'm gonna use this and I'm gonna use America in this sense as the muse for whatever I'm getting ready to create. And so from that, I just started having song after song after song. I mean, it like took me probably three months, if that. And at that same time that I got that spark is when I got that Jerome Grant. And it was like, you know, the universe saying, there you go. Now you can't have excuses and now you can't say you're not gonna do it. Now you have to, because you know what I mean? Like, how would I not do that? You know, it's like looking a gift horse in the mouth like my mom would say, <laughs> you know, you can't do that. And so I asked the band if they were down and they were down and I got the music done all on a machine, MK3, like first time using it and was just like, I'm gonna make my own beats. And so I created all the framework to these songs and asked the band to come in and play things around it. And I could, you know, be like, put your soul on it. And this is what I wanna hear. And just the, the be able to really produce um, and to really get what I wanted out of my head um, and they be able to pick up on that and really do what it was that I asked. I mean, they did a fantastic job. But I mean, this thing came together in about nine months. It's like all my projects are like the time it takes for babies. It's always like that. It's really <laughs> weird. Record yeah. Missoula was nine months. This commission I just did was nine months and Sovereign was nine months. And so it just took it in that time. In September 17th, we went to Ice House and did an outside show. Um, and it was really beautiful and really intimate and people that I knew for many, many years that have been supporting me and loving me were there and I felt safe and we just did it, mm -hmm. you know, and it felt so liberating um, to be able to speak to the things that I normally don't speak to at that great extent, you know what I mean? Because like it was political or whatever people say it was political, but I'm just talking about the truth. Um, but, you know, I always talk that way in my songs, but it's very artistic and stuff, but I was just being very real and being very honest um, in this way. And it was risky, um, but also at the same time, I felt like this is why I got the grant so that I could do a pleasure project. So I don't have to worry about sales. I don't have to worry about how the album is doing because the album is paid for. You know, I don't have any expenses to recoup and have to pay studios and pay all these other people because I got to go in and record this with friends. Uh, Pavio, this, uh, it, it's now our favorite time in the Real Wolf Record Club when we turn to a little thing we call Ched Talk. Are you ready to play Ched Talk with us? I'm ready. Uh, Ched has an illustrious history here on the Real Wolf Record Club, and it's the time when we rapid-fire questions at our guests. Are you ready to play Ched Talk with us? Yes. Let's do it. Ched Talk with Paviel French. In your 30-plus year performing, uh, performing career, the most famous person you've performed with is? Um... I mean, you've already said Maya Angelou and John Denver, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to go. It, Josh Groban and Anthony Hamilton. Either one. Betty Hamilton. Yes, Anthony <laughs> Hamilton. And I sang the wrong words, too. And then we laughed about it later. The night he won his Grammy, I called him. Oh. Hilarious. It was the most hilarious. He was like, this is the girl that sang the wrong lyrics. I was like, yeah. He was like, That's but you sang good, though, girl. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> I tell that story all the time because it was the funniest thing ever. Like, how could you imagine? I sang the wrong song, same name of the song, 
wrong lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, five years from now, you're performing on New Year's Eve to a sold-out crowd. Where? Carnegie Hall. Mm. Love it. Uh, in your upcoming buddy comedy, who plays your sidekick? Tiffany Haddish. <laughs> I like her. I like. She's funny. She's silly. She's very mm. silly, and that that that's the core of me. She's funny. Yeah. 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 I think she's cute. Uh, this is a little bit like uh, wearing a t shirt of the band you're going to see to their concert. But what is uh, your favorite song of your own that you've written? A Requiem for Zula. Mm. Best thing I've ever done. Mm. And finally. Time capsule. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, to close out, to close out. Uh, Ched Talk with Paviel French. What is your happiest moment performing? One singular moment. You know what? This past year, when I was at Miami at North or at New West, uh, it's New World Symphony. I always think NW and think Northwest. New World Symphony. Um, that was the first time outside of the city that I performed a classical compete, a you know, piece and was listed as a composer. And they just went all out. And I kind of knew like, yeah, I remember sitting on stage, singing it and having an out of body experience and going, yeah. You know, I top, and, and there's so many performances that I've had that have just been beyond, but that one, cause it's cause it's my mama's song. And it's like, I get to bring my mom around the world. And so that, that was just like, could die happy knock on wood i got more i got more time this has been ched talk with real wolf record club and paviel french we're going to take a quick break and we will be back to talk about the classic aretha franklin album i never loved a man this is the real wolf record club Welcome back to the Real Wolf Record Club. We are here talking with Paviel French about the iconic album from the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. Uh, the 1967 album, um, I mean, it, it leads with respect. It's, that's a song that is It's just hardwired. If you listen to music, you know that song. You've probably seen it on a commercial. You've probably seen it used a billion times over. I mean, it's that hardwired into our musical consciousness uh, but but aretha is i mean aretha it, it's hard to even you feel like you're not doing it justice to or doing her justice to try to describe her i mean she had this album came out when she was i think eight eh, 20 something like that she she had a six-year-old and an eight-year-old she had a child when she was 12 a child when she was 14 and here she is moving forward and and releasing and creating art that is just absolutely timeless she's one of the uh, one of the uh top female artists of all time in terms of of uh billboard hits ryan you're a numbers guy i mean she's what what am i wrong on that what are the stats on that she's got to be up there oh yeah she's she's number three actually with 73 uh top billboard hits she's number three but who's number three so Okay. So Mariah Carey is another one up there. Uh, Mariah Carey's on the list, but she's not ahead of Aretha. Any oh, she's not. Okay, on, wow. Any any guesses? Both artists are under forty years old. That's Oof, wow. Under 40? Oh, under yep. forty. Yeah. Beyonce's got to be yeah. up there. Beyonce is up there, but still behind Aretha. Whoa. 
Um, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is number one with 113. Oh, wow. really? Yeah. And so number oh, I two. That. Who number, is it? Gaga? No. A, number Gaga's two up there, is though. Gaga is up there as well. Yeah, because um, poker face. You you guys are all picking off the list pretty good here, but number two is Nicki Minaj with a hundred and ten. Really? hundred and ten? Over Aretha? Yeah, How many? That was, so, but, it's, but, it's, I, but it's different. It's different times. You know, like yeah. it's all digital and it's it's like inflation. Yeah. Music so much yep. faster yep. and yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And kids well, are just Aretha dumb these days. Three? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Aretha's number three. How many did she have? But that's awesome. Yeah, Aretha had seventy three in twenty twenty two. Seventy three. Wow, at twenty twenty two. That see, that's legacy. Yeah. She's bigger than Beyonce. She's Still. yeah. That's why the, I mean, that's why she's the queen. Yep. I so okay. I mean, I knew I knew she was up there. I had. I mean, there's just no way she's not. But uh, Taylor Swift, I just know that she is so huge that I figured she'd be up there. But wow, I didn't realize there was that many. Nicki Minaj songs and all apologies to Miss Minaj yep. yeah. and not yeah. not taking anything away from her because I, I feel the same way about Taylor oh, no. Swift if you told me there was 110 Taylor Swift songs in her catalog I wouldn't know that there's 110 songs in her catalog yes yeah, all I apologies but I mean it, it goes it's it shows you right there I mean in a time of of music at your fingertips like you've never had ever we have so much music at our disposal we have Aretha Franklin, who she released an album in 2014. Um, but at that point, oh, there was a lot of greatest hits stuff coming out and some holiday albums. It wasn't like she was churning out like they used to in the 60s. And and for her to still be up there, that shows you yes. how powerful she was and how, how um, prolific she was. So yep. we, we've talked a little bit about this album as your experience. And, and Pavel gave us a, a wonderful story about the... <laughs> the influence of a parent on, on your musical taste and, and how it can and direct a life. And I just think that's so powerful, but I want to turn to our, one of our favorite things to do here. It's my favorite thing because this is a music appreciationist slash review club. We talk and give it a rating, but I think the most fun is geeking out on some of the stuff that, that makes these albums great. So I want to start out by talking about the favorite song on this album. And this is this will be interesting to see. Uh, I feel like respect is a little bit like trying to look at the stars in the city. Like you have to block out the light of respect to really decide if there's something better on the album or not because respect would be an easy choice. And if that's your favorite song, it totally makes sense. But uh, Hannah, I want to I want to start with you. And I want to know what your favorite song off this album was. It's the title track. I never loved a man the way that I love you. That song is blues, soul, silky smooth, sultry, steamy. Uh, I mean, I don't know what more you could really want from a song. I listened to that track over and over and over. And I just started to like it more and more and more and more. And I mean, there is just like coming off of her voice in that song you know you get all hot under the collar (laughs) listening to it that yeah that song blew me away I was kind of like where have I been like this song is incredible well um yeah I enjoyed myself you can hear the floor (laughs) creak in the dance hall you can see the smoke across over the heads listen I mean that song oh see I didn't get dance hall from that well it might have been more like uh... bedroom (laughs) <laughs> yeah different kind of creaking i guess yes <laughs> <laughs> 
No, but man, that harmony, that is sultry. The love the man the way that I I love you. Woo! Wow. <laughs> yeah. And the way it was recorded. You mm -hmm. know, like the if you listen like to all of the instruments and everything, um, the the even the hiss mm -hmm. in the beginning and stuff, it just takes you there. Mm -hmm. It takes you there. You're like, yeah, that's old torch. Well, and the and oh. they you can hear there's there's kind of an odd um, I don't even know if it's called beat, but that piano really helps it kind of it's almost like it's uh there's, there's like a, a shuffle yeah it's just like missing it's a it. old it's an old blues thing that yeah because exactly. she wrote that yeah she, yeah you know that or that 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 riff she didn't write that's just a blues riff yeah that's a, that's a robert johnson that's a muddy waters riff that's a you know buddy guy riff you know like that's she took it home we've talked a little bit about the idea of like how do you handle an icon because it's been handled so many ways before and you know with this album you can look up any number of stories about where this album was recorded. It was at the Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals. Uh, a lot of famous albums were recorded down there. Um, and you can look up uh, the altercation between Aretha's uh, husband, uh, Mr. White, and some of the players, uh, session players that were there. And I, I always feel like it's that diamond, you know, pressing coal into a diamond, the, the pressure around creation sometimes spawns these things uh, produces creates these things because this album this song in particular hannah's favorite song you can hear the heat of it and whether that's heat because someone just got into an altercation or heat because whatever's going on in that room was absolutely electric it was just electric um Pavio, yeah, i agree with that because it I, was I mean, electric you, yeah, you picked. You mentioned that there were two songs that you used to sing quite a bit, and that your mother's yeah. favorite song, and one of them was this. I'm curious to know: does that carry on with you? What is your favorite song on this album? You can it's only hard pick to one. Say. Yeah, it's hard, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I would go with Doctor Feelgood just because that's the song that I always chose to sing. But I also sing "I Never Love a Man the Way That I Love You." I mean, I love that song, yeah. but Doctor Feelgood because it has the nostalgic thing yeah. to it, and Doctor Feelgood for me. It was like her being free and stepping outside of church and, mm -hmm. you know, stepping into her womanhood and doing some other things, um, trying different styles and being different and being sexy and, yeah. you know, coming out of that, I was a child performer, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like that was the thing. And she was a preacher's daughter, you know, mm -hmm. and having all that on her and being able to set herself apart, um, yeah, just to sing a song like that, that's like an old torch song. There's like singers specifically from her childhood that I could hear that she was influenced by. Um, some of that Ray Charles stuff, like, uh, um, what's the song? Um, I said, baby, night and day, the right time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you can hear that in those songs you can hear the right time in dr feelgood you can hear it in, in i never loved the man it's you can hear her influences and where she was trying to go and how she was trying to step out but she didn't know it yet that was like her trial you know so i, I that stuff it means a lot to me um because she broke out she broke out of being a kid performer and being cute and mm -hmm. <laughs> you know right. that kind of thing and being and being unique and being the child that could sing you know and and i I identify with that. Well, and that's, and we'll talk about this uh, later on, I think, but, you know, she definitely owned it too, a little bit of the, um, you know, you could look at respect any number of ways, but there's a very clear message to people in the world right there as you better respect who I am and what I am. So 
Um, Ryan, your favorite song off this album? Well, I'm going with kind of the, the easy answer here, at least at least for me, which was respect. Um, I didn't want to overthink it. It's just by by far and away my favorite song on the album, Aretha's signature song of the album, probably her career. Um, some would say, I don't, I don't know, um, but it was a standout for me. And I listened to the album, I mean, some of these songs to death. And I think even even what might be considered one of the lesser songs on the album could be a standout on a separate album. Um, but they all kind of live in the shadow of, of respect for me. Um, one of those songs that just never gets old. You can listen to it over and over and over again. It still packs the same punch all these years later. Um, as Literally everything about it Agreed. is iconic. Every single Agreed. part of it. From yep. the socket to me's to the guitar riff to the, I mean, her Sacrophone. voice. The, yeah, everything yep. is like, I, I hear that. I know exactly what song yep. that is. Yeah. And then, yep. you know, as part of this, the more I dug into the song, the more I dug into Aretha. I mean, there's a, a lot that I, I, did, I didn't know any of the history on it. Um, how Aretha, you know, changed and added the socket to me's and, and then Otis Redding all those years later was singing Aretha's version of the song um, mm. because she did it better. Anyway. Um, just really cool. I got a new appreciation. That's a bit of a bold claim. Yeah, Aretha. I mean, I. That's I a, agree with that claim. Otis's version, no, his the original's good, but I mean, come on. This is an album where we've got several originals and then several covers of the time. And and for the kids at home, just so you know, covers don't mean a bad thing. I think there's a there's maybe a bias that some of us who, if you're not familiar with soul or uh, Motown or whatever you want to call it that someone's covering someone else's music is covering up a deficit that they can't write or that they can't create their own people. I mean, people borrowed music all the time and made it their own. Uh, the Rolling Stones were called, this is the second time we'll mention this on the real wolf record club. Cause it offends me. So as a real wolf, as a Rolling Stones fan, Paul McCartney called the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, a blues cover band. And I always looked at that and thought, yeah, that's kind of the thing. They they play blues music, and it's a sign of respect to cover blues songs and play them at least early on. Um, so, anyways, digression over. Uh, I, I, bold claim is is does Aretha do? And I'll pick out the three the three uh, most prominent uh, covers here. We've got "Respect" by Otis Redding, and then you've got two Sam Cooke songs. You've got "Change Is Gonna Come," and you've got "Good Times." Aretha it's also Franklin. Also, ground in my own tears too. That's, that's a Ray Charles song. That's Ray Charles song. They, um, those those covers, those very prominent covers, are. Does Aretha do them better than the original? Panel, Only Otis's. Only Otis's. Only Otis's. Aretha could could never see Sam Cooke's "The Change Is Gonna Come," or just anything like Sam Cooke was a male Aretha. Sam <laughs> Cooke would have been what Aretha was had he not passed. Mm. and and i he, he, neck and neck you know i am a i absolutely love sam cook so i'm i'm with you i will i will throw this out there i agree on three of those four songs that she i think she does i know i will agree with what you said the one caveat would be i'd say good times i love that song but it's yeah, always been a little it. she bluesed it up and it became yeah. this little floor stomping kind of more energetic good times version but uh, ben Ryan, uh, respect. That's always going to be Aretha. But other than that, I I I listen to both. I listen to both versions of all the songs that uh, Paviel just referenced, 
I give it I give it to the originals. And uh, there's a little bit of uh, a discussion that we'll have later on this, but I'll leave it at that. Ryan, Hannah, any final thoughts on the bold claim? No, I'm kind of with you guys. I think uh, Aretha basically owns respect now. <laughs> That's her song. <laughs> Sorry, um, was... her covers are good. They're they're, but I I don't know if they're better than the originals. Ben, your favorite song off this album? So Joe, I love that we pick our favorite song and not the best song, because if we pick the best song on this album, it is respect. Done conversation over it's the best song in this album but it is not my favorite song and my favorite song by far is save me and man that guitar and my notes on this are this is more than soul and what i mean by that is it's soul it's blues it's rock it's all of these things just kind of put together in this one song and it is awesome and so what i want our real wolf record club listeners to do right now is i want you to pause this podcast come back listen to the rest because i know there's some interesting stuff that's going to come but listen to this save me listen to the song that it's sampled from which is a, a song by ray sharp and it's called help me get the feeling part one listen to that and see how aretha transformed it and made it just phenomenal then go take a listen to one of my favorite if not my ultimate favorite Doors song called peace frog there's a lot of i'm i'm serious just go listen to the song there's a lot of the same sound and a lot of the same feel and i think that's why i love this song not because the Doors song sound like i love this sound and i've realized that this is a total blind spot for me soul funk even maybe into into gospel just haven't listened to enough of it and i need to listen to a lot more and i would recommend that our real wolf record club listeners if they haven't already start digging into the stacks and start listening to some of this music because it's really good and one of the things i love about this is you know we could talk about and pull out um our blind spots in music and where we go but what's clear especially with this album is you can compare as Ben just did some of the, you know, maybe a sample or a different version. And, and then you can compare apples to who wore it better and, you know, better is a subjective term, but I, I love that. And, it, but what it pulls out for me, the big piece that it pulls out for me is in music, vocal music, meaning not jazz where there's not a vocalist usually, but um, in music where there's a voice, voice is so, so important and we're about to dive deep into subjectiveness here uh, but but i'm curious to the panel i'm going to pose this and throw this out there um two parts number one what makes a voice interesting or compelling or or what what about it will hook you in your brain and pull your ear forever and then i also want to know just one not five ben just one uh what who has a great voice in music that we haven't talked about today I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go out here, and I'm gonna say our guest today. And I encourage our listeners: go out, listen to Sovereign. Better yet, go out and buy Sovereign and listen to it that way. And if you don't listen to anything else, I want you to listen to the whole album. But if you don't listen to anything else, listen to the song "Rights." 
Because if you were able to peer into the windows of my home, you would see me and my four-year-old daughter dancing in our kitchen to that song on a weekly basis for our nightly dance parties. Now, this is going to mix in with some of the Encanto soundtrack. <laughs> but when we talk about voices, we talk about Aretha Franklin. We should be talking about Paviel, too. Because, man, you can really sing. And I, I appreciate you coming on here to talk with us. Um, but I, I appreciate more all of the art that you've created that we all can consume. So please, listeners, seriously, go out and listen to this album. Because, I, Pavel, you talked about earlier how you had this freedom through, through your grant to, to create and to create without restriction and you talked about family and people that you're close with and being able to create with them, that it creates something more than just the thing that you create because there's so much else there. And we, we, you talked about this with the, with the album we're talking about today mm-hmm. and Aretha and her sisters. Uh, is it sister or sisters? I didn't know sisters. the part. Sisters. It's, so it's Aretha- Carolyn and I can't think of the other one right now. It's like more of the sum of the parts, right? And it's this this exponential growth, and you you hear it and you feel it on your album, you hear it and feel it on this album. So please, listeners, go out, take a listen, listen to this album too, mix them together. I think you'll find a lot of similarities, to be honest, of just yep. a powerful voice with a point of view. So thank you, Paviel. Thank you, Aretha Franklin, for giving us something great to consume. Oh, thank. You. Much. I, appreciate I was going to say like Eddie Vedder or something, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, we, we can't really top that uh, panelists. I mean, that I think that's exactly right. The, the power, powerful voice. And that's, you know, one of the reasons we're so thankful to have Paviel here is because she is a powerful voice. So uh, we're going to take a quick break here on the Real Wolf Record Club. We will come back. We got a couple segments and then we will give this album our rating. You're listening to the Real Wolf Record Club. Welcome back to the Real Wolf Record Club. We are talking about Aretha Franklin's I Never Loved a Man, the 1967 iconic album. We are talking with uh, Paviel French, the wonderfully talented uh, composer-creator, Evocateur, who just released uh, in September of 2021 the album Sovereign. Go check that out. Uh, We are coming down to the home stretch here of this episode. We're going to now turn uh, to one of our favorite segments, uh, it's called the Word Nerd with Hannah. Word Nerd, what do you have for us today about this album, the Aretha Franklin album from 1967? I have a, an embarrassing confession to make. <laughs> there was a part of the song that I never really knew the words to. Um <laughs> And so I ended up, I was like, what song are we talking about? What song? Well, (laughs) I was like, I'm going to look up what this part of the song is. Cause I'm like, I never actually understood. I always thought it was take care TCP, but I was like, what, what, I don't know what that is. So I finally, it was like, what, what is she actually saying here? And it's take care comma 
TCB, yep. which is take care, take care of business. In what song? Are you talking about respect? I am talking about respect, a song that like I've probably heard how many times in my life have sang along to and then like kind of like mumbled through that part because I wasn't like totally sure what she was saying. <laughs> and finally it was like, what is she saying here? And I looked it up and learned something new and... I mean, it's very appropriate with the song. She's telling her man to get his affairs in order, take care of business so he can come home and give her the respect that is due. And then the um, at the end of the song, the sock it to me part, that song kind of made that phrase part of like our lexicon. Like it, it was already out there, obviously, but Aretha took that, put it in the song and that just i mean who doesn't know that i mean everybody's heard that phrase now right and it's from what i understand because of that song that we really know that phrase and what it means and that's you know part of our language now hey Uh, i'm just asking for a friend though uh mm -hmm. just asking for like like what what does it mean um sock it to me (laughs) so i mean give it to me yeah. Okay. Like, All right. I was gonna say, like, give yeah, it like, to me. You know, because Geraldine used to do it too. I think at the same time. So I don't know who did it first, but Flip Wilson, because Gerald, he had a character named Geraldine, and she was always like, "Stop it, Tommy." Because okay. he used to go on like Rowan and Martin laughing and all laughing, that stuff. We used yeah, to watch yeah, that when I was yep. a kid. <laughs> well, yeah, Flip Wilson, when he would do it on the Flip Wilson show, Geraldine's key phrase was sock it to me. And that was probably like 67. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That was, yeah. But I sock think without me. Aretha, I don't know that we would all yeah, not know like that, that phrase. Yeah. I mean, can, can we, can we, all right. I'm going to using it. I'm just, well, I'm going to say as, you know, I think as a real Wolf Record Club, perhaps a first plan of action for 2022, we should agree that we're all going to try to use this in our daily, daily conversations going forward as, as an agreement. Let's sock it to him, Joe. I'm in. I'm oh in. Oh my God. <laughs> Bobby Let's Alfred. People are going to look at you like, oh my gosh. You know? Let's sock so it to 2022. <laughs> And it's now the new single from Paviel French. Like, <laughs> the new single from Paviel French is Sock It To Me? God, oh my I love gosh, it. never. <laughs> that stuff is so old. Oh my gosh. I love it. And that That's was like the... saying far out. You know, <laughs> right. like, you, you wouldn't say far out to somebody. You know what I mean? Like I look at Sock It To Me like far out. That's old. Yeah. <laughs> and that and that's that's uh what i love about the word nerd is pulling out something and giving us a new phrase and a new understanding of a lyric that has been the word nerd on the real wolf record club but with that one of the things we like to also do with an album is we talk with our guests we pick our favorite songs we pick our least favorite songs sometimes not in this one because it's just so good but we also like to do a little segment called put it on a playlist Ben, what have you put on a playlist? Joe, I put so many things on playlists, including Paviel's music, which is on my rotation playlist right now. Ex- excuse me, the rotation playlist. But I've, I've created and curated a playlist for this album, and the playlist is called You Come At The King or Queen, You Best Not Miss. And this is a famous quote from Omar Little, 
in HBO's The Wire. But in any event, this is a music podcast. We're going to talk about music. And when we come at the king or queen we best not miss, this is a playlist of cover songs that took a swing at some music legends to perform their own versions. And listener, dear listener, we like to know, who do you think did it better? So what's on this playlist? Respect by Aretha Franklin, as we mentioned, uh, originally recorded by Otis Redding. But what else is on this playlist? All Along the Watchtower, Jimi Hendrix or Bob Dylan? Take Me to the River. Do we like Talking Heads or Al Green? I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Now, the first to release this was Gladys Knight and the Pips. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, he's going to say the California Raisins, isn't he? I'm not going to say the California Raisins. I'm going to say, take a listen to the Slits version of I Heard It Through the Grapevine. This is actually, this is a true Easter egg for you, Joe. This is one of the first albums that the Real Wolf Record Club digested, chewed up, and spit out when we first started this pandemic pastime, and I still listen to this song. What's one more? What's one more? Well, we all know that our host loves the Rolling Stones, but does he love Satisfaction by Devo? Maybe you like it better than the Rolling Stones, who, as we all know, are just a blues cover band. Take a as listen to the playlist. Why Devo got them? Right. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, as get get at us in the comments on that one. Uh, you, <laughs> uh, you pick Satisfaction, the Stones versus Devo. I, I I'm throwing I bold claim. Uh, I want to hear about that one because I think there are hey. better versions of Satisfaction than Devo. The arm of all those eighties new wave <laughs> audiophiles out there that are listening to the Real Wolf Record Record Club, make your voice heard. <laughs> Tell us why Devo shreds the Rolling Stones. Last thing I want to say, just just take a listen to Charles Bradley and see if he does changes better than Black Sabbath. Mm. A great voice that sounds like it was transported from 1967 to the present day let's put it on a playlist joe that has been put it on a playlist and a reminder uh when we talk about you can you can get at us on on instagram and twitter and the website but you can also find these playlists uh this will be somewhere posted where you can link and have and listen to it and drive around in your car and and listen to these playlists curated by our very own ben this has been put it on a playlist and i think guest panel listener it's that time it's that time where we put our own special stamp on this album it's it's not a big big reveal this is not a reality tv show we don't reveal at the end the big change i think we all know where we stand on this album we have a pretty favorable opinion on this album i think uh, I know I certainly do. I'm going to just come out and say, uh, you know, obviously the scale is bury the album, which is one out of four. You would not buy this. You would borrow it. You think it's all right. You don't need to own it. You would buy it. That's where you want to possess this album. Or you would buy it again, which in record parlance is one to stock, one to rock. It's so good that you need two copies because you are going to wear the heck out of that record. 
So with that scale in mind, I'll just come right out and say this is a buy it again for me. This is pretty easy. This is something uh, I think it's such a classic, classic album in the sense that it features a voice that is so preeminent in music. It features uh, there's there's nothing terribly complex at first listen and then you listen again and you're like wow there's a lot going on here and as you dig deeper it gets better that's what to me makes it abide again it's just such a good album but i'm curious to the panel and i'll give it to you first paviel your ranking for this album i got a feeling i know but i've been surprised before buy it again because it because it it just never gets old mm. and it's just like it's it's like you said it's a classic it's a, it's a classic, and I would buy it again. If, if it got messed up or my album was wore out, I'd buy it again. Like, buy it again. I would have to have that always on the shelf. Hannah, Ben, Ryan, do you agree? We, we've staked a pretty big claim on Buy It Again so far. Where are you guys at? You know, we've had several albums now that have made me stop and think, you know, what am I doing with my life that I haven't been listening to this for years already? And this is one of those albums. I'm going to buy this again. This album is fantastic. And I will be worshiping at the church of Aretha from now on. Like this album is so good. Like I I can't get over it. Everyone needs to listen to it. It's amazing. Ryan. My vote is buy it. Um, I was close on buy it again, admittedly, but um, this was a buy it for me. I've always been a fan of Aretha's. Um, but not one to ever listen to any of her albums. And I've always been a fan of soul music, um, but more of a person who listens to uh, just singles. I kind of pick some soul songs and I don't really listen to an entire soul album. Um, so this would be one of my first soul albums that I would have ever purchased um, when I do buy it. It's an album I really enjoyed listening to. It's a powerful album. Um, when we talk about what makes a great voice, you know, it's it's one of those albums where there's a just authentic emotional expression in all of her songs where as a listener, you know, just even at home, you're just able to pick up on that um, and you're just moved in a way that can't really be described. I'm kind of talking myself into almost buy it again ter- territory here, but I'm going to I'm going to stick with buy it. Do you think do you think you'll look back and say that Aretha was your gateway drug? I think so. I mean, <laughs> it's it's, it's it incredible stuff. It's, it's it's the ultimate soul album with the ultimate soul anthem. Um, mm. Respect for me. I I loved it. Mm. Ben, you get the last word on this. What is your ranking for this album? I'm with Ryan. I'm I'm almost talking myself into a buy it again. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with buy it. That's what I came into here. Uh, into the episode with here. I still am kind of processing this album because it's at the same time this powerhouse of a of an album and a voice that is still also somehow tender. It's a feels really raw and emotional yet it seems also very polished at the same time. It's a lot different than I expected and it's a lot better and I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And I mentioned this before, I think it's really revealing to me a a blind spot of this kind of soul funk groove that I'm very much, as Joe was saying, as a gateway drug, I'm seeing myself kind of going down that rabbit hole. Uh, I think it's also a really versatile album. So you can rock out to this, you can play it low in the background, you can sit down with some headphones and really just let your mind 
focus on the music you can dance to it or just kind of groove to it i mean it really does have that depth um and i'm going to challenge hannah the word nerd i'm going to say that my favorite lyric that was representative i think of my experience with this album comes from soul serenade and it says my message to him this evening is they can jump in anybody's ocean because only you hear my soul my soul serenade and to me that felt like aretha speaking to me and saying that i'm gonna make what i want to make and i'm gonna use my voice to make it and then i'm doing it for you Maybe she was singing not about me. I'm thinking she probably wasn't. But to <laughs> me, that just like put that whole album in a bottle. That she just had this vision and this voice and an exposure. And it, it kind of that just that juxtaposition of power but tenderness and raw and polished. I think it's just perfect right in that little phrase. And uh, that's my experience of the album. Yeah, she was a preacher. You know, really, she really took from her dad. That's the thing about Aretha that people didn't get is that she had the Detroit City soul, but she also had the Pentecostal thing. And that's what set people apart, like Karen Clark Sheard or The Emotions or the Jones Girls any or Sam Cooke or any of those, the Womacks. Like they had those ways of taking what they did in church into secular music. Maybe Staples is another one. Um, and they could bring what they brought in church to move people and invoke people to the music. And that's what the cool thing is. It's like what you said with the gateway, because all the different styles of soul, it just, it gets you into that level because people don't really understand it. They think soul is Motown, but it's beyond that. Then, you know, there's stacks and there's all, all the different geographical, you know, ways that have, that the influences of soul have brought, you know? It's, it's just so different. And Aretha was all Detroit. I, I think you'll, you know, a little known fact who you may find out some way is we, in Aretha Franklin's Lost Papers, there's a note that says, Dear Ben, this song's for you. <laughs> I dedicate this. <laughs> I dedicate this to, to the you. Real Wolf Record Club. To the Real Wolf Record Club. Dear Especially ben. the panelist, Ben. <laughs> if you're reading this, you're not born yet, but this song's for you. <laughs> And that has been uh, our ranking of this album, Aretha Franklin's I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. Uh, I, we want to thank our guest, Paviel French. She is so talented. She is so prolific. She is a force of nature, just uh, doing so many great things. We encourage you. Pa Paviel, where can people uh, check out your music? Where can they uh, follow what you're doing in the world? Um, you can check out my music on Bandcamp. You can buy the CD. Um, I'm MissFrench.Bandcamp.com, M-S-F-R-E-N-C-H. Um, and the album's name is Sovereign. It's on all streaming platforms, title, everything. Um, and I'm on YouTube. I'm on Facebook. I'm everywhere. I'm on IG, Paviel underscore music. Um, and that's how you can find me. Or just Google me. You'll find me. I got all kinds of stuff coming She's, up. <laughs> she is out there, and she is busy, and she is so talented. Um, uh, you can uh, you can find her. We will also make sure we have information on realwolfrecordclub.com uh, as to our uh, links to her information and how you can follow her, support her, and enjoy the great, great art that she's creating. Um, check us out, realwolfrecordclub.com. You can find out all information about our show. You can go on Twitter, follow us. We'll have updates. Uh, Twitter is realwolfrc, and then instagram at real wolf record club 
This has been the Real Wolf Record Club. We've been so blessed to have Pavel French with us to discuss this great Aretha Franklin album. We can't wait to talk about our next album. Join us here on the Real Wolf Record Club. This has been the Real Wolf Record Club podcast. The Real Wolf Record Club is a production of Real Wolf Productions, LLC, a limited liability company. The show is produced today by Ben Head. Our panelists were Ryan McInnes, Hannah Van Tomey, and I'm your host, Joe Van Tomey. Follow us and join the club on Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club. On Twitter at Real Wolf RC. Go to our website to find links to the episodes, upcoming news and information, as well as a link to buy merch from our very own Ward Sutton at www.realwolfrecordclub.com. You're listening to the incredible song Rights by our guest Paviel French. Join us next episode when we discuss the groundbreaking 1992 album The Chronic by Dr. Dre. Taking down this Draconian